Hello, Real Talk listeners. Welcome to another edition of December's podcast series. In this series, we are talking about what it's like to be looking for a job or looking for employees during a global pandemic or a global crisis. Throughout this month, we're going to take both perspectives. We're going to look at employees and how you maintain your talent strategy. And then we're going to look at what it takes to be successful if you are looking for a job. And today we have with us John Fry. And John is someone that we know and have worked with in the past. And he's going to share a little bit of his experience. John, before we dig into your experience during the pandemic, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, well, uh, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. I, I guess this would be, I'm a longtime listener, first time talker type of thing. I don't know if radio stations and podcasts still do that. So I have kind of a unique background. I grew up in Southeast Michigan and I went to school and my original plan was I was going to work at summer camps, work with kids. And I have a, a bachelor's degree in recreation. And, you know, that was the plan. And for about 10 years, instead of working at summer camps, I actually worked uh, for a major cruise line and I lived on board the ships and did that for about 10 years, which is a very unique experience. And since then, I've uh, I left the cruise line. I've moved around. I've actually gotten my master's degree in human resources and have been doing a lot of training and development and things like that. And, you know, in the pandemic, I uh, like millions of Americans, I lost my job and I am now currently employed. So at a company that is hiring. So it's kind of unique that I, you know, I had the struggle going into it of losing your job and feeling that pressure. And now I'm on the other side where we are we're really trying to hire people. Um, and the struggles that are happening there because of the pandemic. Yeah, exactly. And we're going to dig into that a little bit. But you know, because you and I have talked in the past, mm-hmm. I am so fascinated by the 10 years you spent on a cruise ship. Tell me what the coolest thing was and what the worst thing was. So the coolest thing is there's a couple questions that people usually ask. What was your favorite port? Did you get to, you know, hang out with the guests and things like that? And one of the biggest misconceptions and with cruise line employment is it is a job. It is a hard, hard job because we don't get to go to the party. We put on the party and we have to make sure everyone's experience is just wonderful. They're paying good money. And, you know, Sometimes people save up two, three years to take their whole family on a cruise. So we always try to deliver just a wonderful experience for them. But there really isn't one thing like, oh, I got to go to this port or I got to go there. But it's just more of an overall, I got to travel the world and get paid for it. I got to meet so many people from so many different countries and really broaden my horizons. One of my best friends is from Nicaragua. I was a best man at his wedding. My, you know, another good friend, you know, she lives in the Toronto area. And, you know, when I go on Facebook and my LinkedIn profile, it's from all over, just like, oh, you know, a couple of people from the UK and the Philippines and Russia and, and just all over. So getting outside my bubble um, was probably one of the best things that happened for me to be able to, to see the world in a much bigger way, which was very impactful to even who I am today. One of the biggest challenges overall is it is a significant commitment. Um, you work seven days a week, you know, eight to 10 hours a day, and you work, you know, straight on through. You're away from your family, you're living on the ship. It's very hard to communicate. You know, you can't just send a message. 
you know, you can't just call someone very easily. So it is a little isolating. And if you're not ready for that, and it can be a really hard adjustment and you work really hard, but then the payoff is generally you get all your weekends smushed together into a vacation. So you'll work for about four to six months on the ship and then you get about two months off and then you'll go back to back to work. Gotcha. Gotcha. Now let's talk about what moved you into learning and development. And that will, I promise, segue into job searching. But why, <laughs> why learning and development? I'm a nerd. I'm a huge, huge nerd. Um, I like it. Yep. Big time. I solve Rubik's Cubes for fun. Every time something comes, I'm like, well, I'm going to Google that and figure out how that works. Um, I love it. the How It Works series on YouTube. You know, the little eight-minute vignettes of, you know, here's how they make this. Um, I've, I've always been fascinated with that and just learning about all sorts of wonderful things. And I like to share that information. I think the world is cool and amazing and filled with all sorts of, you know, magical, wonderful things. And I think your world is deeper and richer if you understand it. And I like to share that information. So learning and development, kind of pivoting away. I worked with kids, you know, in that in the cruise line and the recreational space. I always enjoyed that because I wa enjoyed watching them learn and watching them grow and things like that. And then as I got into more corporate America, that passion just kind of carried over into learning and development and, you know, helping someone be best at their job, helping someone, you know, grow and get a promotion and do better at what they're doing is something that I really enjoy. So that's, um, that's kind of how I ended up in, in learning and development. I think it also ties nicely with employee engagement of, you know, an educated workforce is a happier workforce, which is ultimately more profitable for the company. So that's kind of how I, how I ended up in learning and development. Nice. And one of the things definitely, I think a lot of learning and development people have in common, it's definitely something you and I have talked about is that passion mm -hmm. to learn yourself kind of filters into a desire to give to others and help mm -hmm. them grow. But it also has its challenges. You know, it's interesting, global crisis in corporate America, you know, when that impacts corporate America, it sometimes impacts all of HR. For example, mm -hmm. uh, during the uh, recession in the 2008 timeframe, I remember the entire human resource department being negatively impacted at a large organization at the time I worked for FedEx. Um, and there were significant layoffs. Now, uh, what I'm learning with this particular crisis, uh, a health pandemic, is that employee relations part of HR is fairly protected because mm -hmm. they need that element because of policies and procedures, right? Yep. But it doesn't always protect those of us in learning and development. We become kind of that piece of HR and even talent acquisition. We become that piece of HR that is seen as unnecessary headcount when people are struggling to make money. I suspect that's a little bit of what happened with your layoff. Yes, absolutely. The industry that I was in was, it was one where just the way it was set up was, it, it just didn't function. So it was pretty massive layoffs right away. And training and development is, is well known as one of the first things on the chopping block, which is unfortunate. I, I think it's you know a little short-sighted, but maybe I'm a little too close to the you know, because I've been learning and development, I'm like, no, don't do it. This is the best thing. Um, <laughs> you know, maybe I'm a little too close and a little biased. So I need to control for that. But I think one of the mistakes that a lot of learning and development um, professionals might do or companies in general is calculate the ROI. You know, you have like everything in a business has to have a return on investment. 
And if you can calculate the return on investment of training and that it's not just some sort of, you know, it's a thing that we do. No, it can help get your employees up to speed three days faster if we invest in that. And that's more more money. Like, you know, if you're working at a call center and you can shave the training from 10 days to eight days, that's two extra days of production. Or if it's a sales job, if you train them and they are better at their job, that will bring more money into the company. So really understanding if you're an L&D professional of how your ROI functions to the company's bottom line. And it's the same thing with human resources you know, and human capital management. Make sure that you, you can justify why you're there, that you're adding to the bottom line. You're not just some sort of expense to, oh, well, you know, we got we to gotta cut somewhere. So HR and training's got to go. Exactly, exactly. It'll screw you over in the long run every time. One of the things that I think learning and development has gotten, well, I don't think I know, we've gotten really good at is measuring how people respond to the class, right? Our Mm -hmm. smile sheets, we're all about a smile sheet and asking people how they like it. But it's Mm -hmm. like of a class does not relate to or equal improved performance, right? Mm -hmm. And that is, it is one of the gaps that once we figure out as a field, I do believe we come off of that chopping block, if you will. Absolutely. Uh, luckily, the the position I'm in right now, it's a sales focused thing. So it's very easy to measure that. You know, I train them and then it's how many sales do they make in the first 30 days? Yes. Yeah. And it's easy to track from before I was here to after I was here. And I can make tweaks and very instantly see that, which is nice, you know, especially during this pandemic, you know, as we talked, you know, training is the first thing to go often. But right now I feel safe and secure because I know I'm adding to the business. I have numbers to back it up that they're doing better. Like the the employees are doing better because they went through this training. Yep, absolutely. Um, And I think that's what we have to look at for sure. So when you left your, um, well, when you were exited from your previous company because <laughs> that's of a, a nice furlough. way to say it yeah i know i have learned some because i i previously worked in a company that was growing during this pandemic as well and we came up with really nice ways of, like we exited we separated we furloughed like how many nice ways can you say your job is gone dude get out i was talking to somebody today about uh, coded language in the workplace, you know, like, uh, I look forward to your speedy reply. You know, that's code for something. <laughs> yep, it sure is. You were exited um, from the company. <laughs> exactly. Um, so what were the biggest challenges when you started searching? So the first thing was the emotional aspect of it. It's kind of like the seven stages of grief. Is it seven or nine? Can't remember how many stages seven. of grief. Seven stages of grief. The first bit of it was denial. Of yep. I had to get over that. And this was before the stimulus package came out. So it, it was a whole hit. And in my mind for the first like 30 days, it was, no, this is, this is short term. This is short term. Even though every single scientist was saying again and again and again, we're in this for the long haul. I had to get over that. And then finally they passed the stimulus package, which gave you know my wife and I, we have a new daughter. She just turned one on Thanksgiving. So there's you know a lot of pressure there as many parents know. So after that, I was still, I I started looking just a little bit, but my heart wasn't in it yet. And it took about another, a month and a half, two months before I was like, okay, I'm through the denial phase of this. I need to start getting a job. And that's when I hit the next wall, which was also a huge struggle of the fact that millions of Americans were all applying for what felt like three jobs. 
it was just time and time and time again, either not even getting a, a call back or any acknowledgement that I applied or getting a reply in like 30 seconds that I wasn't qualified for the job. And I've got some good experience. I've got degrees. I'm like on paper, I'm a good guy. And it was just, that was heartbreaking as well. It hurt. I remember I went through all the stages. I was like one of the last two candidates for a job and they went with somebody else and oh, it broke me. I was emotionally wrecked for a day because I was so close. And that's tough during the pandemic. I mean, it's it's tough to find a job or to, you know, to find a job at any time, but then you add this pressure on um, and the competition was through the roof. And then, you know, finally, you know, you just kept grinding it out and applying and applying and applying. And eventually I found a spot. So I want to start with your first thing when it comes to advice. And that's to pause and deal with your emotions. You know, it's um, mm-hmm. Maria and I attempt to in this, in our business and in our podcast, not make things country centric, if you will. Mm-hmm. But there is a particular problem that Americans have. And that is that we wrap our identities in our jobs. Um, Very much so. Right? And a lot of countries don't do that. And man, I wish we could adopt that here. But if you think about it, you know, the last time you went somewhere, got on a plane or whatever, people's first question is always, what do you do? Um, Like that defines you, right? And so we start as individuals letting our jobs define us. Mm -hmm. And even... If the back of your mind knows that this is happening because of a global crisis and it's happening to hundreds of thousands of other people, it doesn't change the way you process it. Going on that, you know, I I disagree with the phrase, it's not business or it's not personal, it's business. Me too. It is personal. Like my, for, for millions of Americans, unless you're, you know, the Vanderbilts or the some other, you know, the Bezoses of the world and, and part of their family, like your livelihood is wrapped up in your job. If you're not independently wealthy, wealthy, the first thing that went through my mind as soon as I lost my job was, how am I going to keep my house? How am I going? How am I going to feed my daughter and my wife? And how are we going to pay for our cars and all that type of stuff? So, to say it's not personal, like when you lose your job, that's you know, it's just business. No, no, it's yeah. very, very personal. It's incredibly insulting and disrespectful mm-hmm. for the person that, that is losing their job, for sure. So I think you, you do have to stop and give yourself a moment to grieve. That's another word that we tend to not use in this country, except for as it relates to death. But really, grief is about the loss of something, right? And this yeah. is the loss of an identity, um, it's the the loss of safety and security that you have for yourself and your family. You know, I never thought about it that way until you just brought up, you know, with the word grief. And that's that's very accurate to what I was feeling was grief for mm-hmm. for a job that I had and for for all of that. Well, it's like, it's like I should feel like I should be on a couch right now, you know, <laughs> doing it at a at a piece of paper. How does that make you feel, John? Like <laughs> you know, it's so funny. I could comfortably tell you six years ago. The word feeling would never come out of my mouth. I've come a long way. Come a long way. Um, go. If you need to cry, you go ahead and cry. <laughs> I'm getting a little no, misty myself. There's no crying in podcasts. There's no crying in podcasts. <laughs> it's an auditory medium. Like no one can see our tears anyway. 
Right, right. I, you know what? In a recent podcast, I did tell people when I'm uncomfortable that I mm-hmm. use humor. So when I get very sarcastic, you should know, probably feeling a little emotional. Um, <laughs> so what are some of the things that you did to deal with the emotional aspect of that loss? Is drinking an option? Is that a good answer for that one? I mean, if you had been on the podcast with me and Maria yesterday, heck yes. The, uh, yeah, so um, kind of like the seven stages of grief. You have to work your way through it. You got to be angry about stuff. You know, I vented. I'm, I'm a runner, so I spent a lot of time, like, running. I kind of, like, you know, Forrest Grump, not quite across the country. I'm not a speedy runner by any means. Old ladies on rascal scooters, they pass me easy. But I, 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 I needed some sort of physical outlet to, to do that and to get over that and work my way through it and those feelings. And, and talking with my wife, who is an amazing, wonderful, kind person, and being honest with that about how we're feeling and how we're dealing with this and the frustrations that we're having, because, you know, social distancing and physical distancing added to that isolation feeling. Um, so I was, I was lucky to have her. And I think one of the biggest things was my daughter. My wife uh, works in the healthcare industry. So she was laid off for a little bit, but very quickly went back. And I was able to spend a lot of time with my daughter in her first year of life. So I got a little, I, I tried to think about it as a paternity leave, you know, f- paternity leave, find the silver cl- silver lining in the cloud. So I'm very thankful that I, I was able to spend that time with her, which um, was just fantastic and helped me, you know, I poured myself into spending time with her and that helped me get over that kind of emotional aspect of, okay, there's other things. Yeah. I, you know, one of the things that you said, it's something that we talk about a lot here and it's finding that person to talk to a lot of times, particularly with a job. And if you haven't gone through it, people have a tendency instead of listening and empathizing with you, they have a tendency to just jump to, it's just a job. It's not who you are. You'll get a new one, right? And so by having someone who is really willing to listen to what's going on in your mind, it makes it a lot easier for you to process those feelings. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I had my wife and then, you know, also my friends. I was able to reach out to them and uh, just be able to just to have that connection was what really helped me. Then the next thing is get out there. And as you mentioned, there's hundreds of people applying for jobs, right? And they all have, I'd say they all have similar experience, but talking to recruiters, one of the things that we've learned was people were so desperate for jobs Mm -hmm. that they were applying for anything because there was that fear of how do I take care of my family, right? Mm -hmm. So what did you do? Yeah. (laughs) Anything and anything that I was even remotely qualified for, I was putting my application in. Yep. What did you do on, let's start with like your resume, because that's the Mm -hmm. first, that's your first introduction, right? So what did you do to try to stand out? Well, I hired a professional. I got in touch with a a wonderful company. You know, I don't don't know if you ever heard of them, Real Talent. (laughs) The, uh, so, you know, that was one of the things that I did. I don't do a very good job of talking about myself or writing about myself, I guess. I'm fantastic. Like I can talk about myself all day long. You want to hear how great I am? My wife will tell you. I'm all about that. So I, you know, I, I beefed up the resume. I, Real Talent helped me with that. That's kind of how we started, you know, our conversation to help me stand out, to make sure that I had, you know, my best foot forward. And, you know, it's worth it. 
if you're an okay resume writer, it might be worth it to invest a hundred bucks into um, a professional service like real talent that can you know, see that shameless plug there. You know, I so did. It was, really there it was go. really good. I'm here for you to help myself stand out. And it also helped me feel more confident knowing that I had, you know, something a little more tuned up than what I could produce because, you know, sometimes you need to be a little more objective in how you're writing things. Yep. And, you know, it's, it's true that resumes kind of go through trends, right? You may mm-hmm. remember that there was a time, um, AJ talked about this on one of our podcasts. There was a time where putting your photo on your resume was encouraged. Oh, absolutely. Um, and now it's sort of people look at it and they think, oh, you are full of yourself right there, aren't you? So there are trends that kind of that formatting goes through and what makes you stand out and versus what makes you look like you haven't written a resume in 20 years. Absolutely. And it, you know, it also opens up like there's professionalism, but there's also hiring biases that, you know, anyone in the HR field is, is well aware of that you can, you know, if you put your photo on there, that can, you know, that might be something that helps or hurts or, you know, who really knows. So that's why, you know, helping out with the professional was something that really helped me. What about that first interview? How did you set yourself up to go into that well? Well, it was Zoom, which again, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm closer to 40 than I am to 30 and we'll just leave it at that. So all my other interviews had either been, you know, your standard phone screening, but never a, whenever it was time for face-to-face, it was always go into the office. You know, you put the suit on, you have your resume printed on nice paper and you know, you're looking all professional and ready to go. But now we're in the Zoom environment and everyone was scrambling, trying to figure this out. I think everyone's seen some sort of uh, comedy sketch of an awkward Zoom meeting. You know, it, is Frank on? Frank? Frank, you there? And then there's nothing. Oh, yeah, I had my microphone muted. So trying to figure out how to be professional. I looked at, you know, the background behind me because I was going to have my camera on just like my shoulders and up. Were they looking good? Because, you know, no one looks at down below. But one of the things I actually did, I wore a full suit. Anytime I had a Zoom interview, even though I was in my kitchen against a nice blue wall, I was completely dressed because in my mind, I wanted to be prepared. And part of that was, you know, and I think one of your previous episodes of Real of Real Talk, you you talked about that, like just in working from home aspect, but mm-hmm. even interviewing from home, I was, I had my resume right next to me. I was good to go because I needed that mental like setup. Yep. It changes the way you think about things. Mm-hmm. If you would go out to Walmart at two o'clock in the morning, probably not the way you want to show up for the interview. I'm not yeah. saying everybody at Walmart at two o'clock in the I'm going to, John, I am sure I'm the one that gets the nasty comments on this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I make Maria answer them, though. Um, Do you remember the People of Walmart website? I do. do. That's exactly what came through my mind when you were talking about setting the tone. (laughs) So if you are looking to set that tone, it's it's Mm -hmm. to put yourself in that dress. Yep. And then after that, it was treat it as best I can, like I'm actually right there. Smile, introduce myself, you know, make that connection. I tried to do everything I could before that interview happened to give myself the best first impression. Nice. If you could give our listeners just three tips. Three? Okay. If they are still searching for a job right now. Tip number one 
is going back to that emotional aspect of it. Don't get discouraged. And I know, like we just said, easier said than done. Because I, you know, I know how much emotion and how much is relying on this right now is find the win, take every interview, even if it, even if you don't get it, it's still practice for the next one. Just try and keep your mind as positive as you can. That would be probably my first tip. My second one is stay organized. I made a huge spreadsheet of every single job that I had applied for, the website, the, the login information, all that information. So I didn't double up and accidentally waste my time applying for a same job again, or just a variety of different things. It, it made me feel better that I knew that I had applied for 47 jobs and then 52 and then you know moved that needle on up. So find the goals and the wins where you can. So stay organized. And then my third one would be practice. Interviewing is a skill like anything else. And you need to practice it. Call your ma, call your grandma, call your significant other. Do mock interviews. I've done them with friends, both asking them to ask me a few interview questions. I've coached people as well. They've given me a call and was, hey, can you help me? Like, sure, let's run through mm-hmm. a few questions. So practice, practice, practice. So yeah, um, don't get discouraged. Stay organized and practice, practice, practice. I mean, it, I think that's pretty sage advice for anything in life. You want to become a basketball player, don't get discouraged. Stay organized, get your pre- and practice, practice, practice. That You know what? You're going to have to put that together in like a hot sheet. Uh, <laughs> Copyright, uh, copyright, copyright, trademark, it. restricted, yeah. <laughs> you know, pending. You know, exactly. 2020 exactly. Such, John Fry Incorporated. Yes. Such good advice. Such good advice. You know, it's rare that I will say this. You know, now's the time where we're in December. Uh, we're in the middle of a global crisis that continues to go and we're not really sure when it's going to end. Now it's probably not the time to leave your job to look for a new one, right? You'd think <laughs> You would think that, even though I just left my job. Um, <laughs> but mental health is an important thing. It is, it is. And I did have real talent. I did have that in the back burner. So I just brought it to the forefront. But if you are out there right now, guys, listeners, if you are struggling, take this advice, right? Stop and be honest about how you feel. Talk to people that will listen to you that won't shame you into just moving on and getting over it. Give yourself a chance. John, one of my new phrases, one of my new favorite phrases is give yourself some grace um, mm-hmm. because I don't think we do that to our, for ourselves. We're really good at excusing other people and giving them leeway, but we, we rarely do that for ourselves. Absolutely. A little more forgiveness. The, uh, yep. you know, and one thing as well that to add on to that is, you know, if you can help somebody else. Yes reach out to someone, be that that shoulder to help with that grace. Or even in the job market, we always want to be careful that we're not talking about nepotism or cronyism in our recruiting. Like, hey, I got a job here. Let me get all my friends in. Making sure people are the right person for the job. But, you know, if you can, help Hi. somebody else, you know. Yep. I, I think it was Mr. Rogers said, in, a, in a, whenever there's struggle, look for the helpers. So you know, try and be a helper right now. I love that advice. And I'm going to let that wrap us up for this session, guys. It is the time for us to step up and help one another, whether it is just offering an ear or offering a connection. Um, Now's a great time to make that happen. John, I want to thank you. This is one of many podcasts that you will be on. Um, I know. 
and I look forward to talking to you again soon. Absolutely. Thanks, if you ever want some good cruise ship stories, we can after we end recording, I can tell you. you. <laughs> nice. Thank you guys. Have a great night. Thank you very much. Bye bye.